0: The reading of the word from Judges 4. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak from Kedesh, in Naphtali and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishan river and give them to your hands. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours. The Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. There, Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. When Sesera was told that Barak had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the troops who were with him. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day on which the Lord has given Sesera into your hand. The Lord is indeed going out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 warriors following him. And the Lord threw Sesera and all his chariots and all his army into a panic before Barak. Sesera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. While Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harosheth HaGoyim. All the army of Sesera fell by the sword. No one was left. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, Highland. Uh, It's good to see you today. Um, Well, can't see you yet, but uh, next Sunday it's going to happen, and I am really thrilled about that. I was talking with Zane this week about why I'm excited for everyone to come back. I mean, obviously, to see one another and to to hear stories and to to greet each other, people we haven't seen in three months, but also because there will finally be somebody in this room to laugh at my sermon jokes. At which Zane responded, what makes you think they're going to laugh even if the room is full? Thanks, Zane. I'm, I'm thrilled uh, for you guys to, to be coming back, and I want to remind you, hopefully you received an email this week about uh, the gatherings that we're going to have at 9 and 11, and, uh, and what each of those gatherings entail. Check your email. If you don't get that, you can call the office, and someone can tell you, or you can go to uh, highlandchurch.org regather. And one of the things we want to ask you to do before next week, you're going to receive an email on Friday, is to pre-register. We need to, because of health uh, health and safety concerns, have a record of everybody that's in the room every Sunday. And so this is going to be a way for you to get through that line. Think of it as the fast pass is Disneyland. You just to skip all the way through. Uh, so pre-register so we know how many people are coming to make sure our room doesn't get too full. And, uh, and we have a record of your visit. Now, if you forget to pre-register, you can still show up. Uh, you're just going to have to sign in when you get here. And I want to remind you that we're going to have hand sanitizers, uh, glove, and masks if you forget yours. Uh, we're going to have one for you. That's not a reason why you can't come. Um, This summer, we are looking at uh, Rolodex. It's a series about the people, the relationships you need to keep close. And and I found it's interesting as I was thinking about these different relationships. You know, you need different ones in different seasons of your life. And um, during seasons of discouragement, you need a Barnabas to help encourage you. During some seasons, when you feel spiritually lethargic or, or just plain lazy... You need a Jethro to, to come and motivate you. And, and I think this week we're going to look at one of those relationships that you normally don't need in any season. It's from your day to day, you don't often need a guardian. But when the time is right, or maybe when the time is wrong, you're going to be grateful for a Deborah. Deborah. And we find Deborah in, in Judges chapter 4, because there's going to be times in your life when you when you need to do something dangerous for the right reason. Uh, maybe it's, it's when you have to take care of somebody that's not able to stand up for themselves and you're going to have to advocate for them, or, or stand up in justice in a society where you might just face trouble. Uh, you know, I, I'm mindful of, of the new uh, process that's happening in, in China, uh, kind of that that social score, and that it's going to cost you to make waves. In China, it's going to cost you to stand up for someone who's weak. I mean, literally, it's going to dock your, your, your point score. They might help you get a mortgage or other things, get ahead. Sometimes you might face trouble. And it may be something as tremendous as rebelling against a dictator or just standing up for someone that's getting bullied at school. And it's always good in that moment to have someone watching your back. Maybe you can think back several years about, I think it's about 10 years now. Uh, it was that season of the Arab Spring where all of a sudden democracy was, was kind of popping up and revolutions were beginning and all over these countries that were previously just ruled by dictators in Egypt, Mohammed uh, Morsi had been ousted. And I got to tell you the truth, that wouldn't have happened. Those protesters wouldn 't have survived unless they'd had a guardian, people protecting them. And in some ways, that guardian at that time was just the fact that the news was being broadcast all over the world, that, that the, the people in charge, the powerful, knew that they just couldn't act however they wanted because the world would see. today we 're going to think about what does it mean for God to be our guardian for someone else. To have your back and what does it mean to protect others pray with me please heavenly father if you don't show us the way we don't know where to go and our lives and our experience and the stories that we've lived have taught us of those moments where we shot out on our own and you were not with us that was not your will And we learned quickly what it means to step outside of that good nature. And so, Father, today we pray for the clarity to know when and where you are moving in this world. Give us clear eyes that see what you are doing. And then, Father, give us the courage. Give us the courage to do brave things and give us the courage to do hard things. But, Father, also give us friends and guardians who will watch our back, who will go with us into a risky place. And now, as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray you pour through me the gift of preaching that we might speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. So I want us to kind of situate what's happening in, in the life of the ancient Near East and in Israel as we understand the story of, of Deborah. Um, the, the, the nation of Israel in this period in the ancient Near East is, is hardly a nation at all. It might be similar to how we have understand the history stories of the American West in like the, the late 17th, early, uh, excuse me, late 18th, early 19th century which was kind of settlements that were very separated by one another, by distance, and by by culture. It was a wild and dangerous time. The people were isolated and unorganized. And, And community was honestly more likely to identify themselves regionally than nationally. There's this pattern that we see that happens over and over in the Judges. It's so absolutely clear. There's no way the author wants you to miss it. It's what happens, in this, it's kind of this, this pattern that the people go through. The people sin, and, and because the people sin and they don't repent, uh, God raises up uh, another group, another nation, usually the Canaanites, to punish them, and the, the Canaanites come in and they rule over uh, the Israelites, and it's a terrible time, but in that terrible time, the people call out for help, they cry for help, and then the people are delivered. Again and again and again, God raises up a judge to deliver them. And, and Deborah is, is one of those judges. She's actually pretty unique. She's called a prophet, which means that she speaks the word of God to the people. And she's a judge in the sense that she's a mediator. She has that the tree that she sits on and people from all over come together to have her settle their disputes. But she's also a judge in the biblical sense that she is a, a military deliverer. Uh, maybe the easiest way to understand a judge in the book of Judges and in the military sense is that they're a warlord. They're raising up for an occasion to do something to deliver the people. Moses and Samuel are the only other two people in Scripture who are called prophet, judge, and judge. And there's this clever wordplay in the text I I don't want you to miss. Uh, Deborah is the wife of fire, and Barak's name is lightning. And Yahweh, the god they serve, is a god of storms. Keep that in the back of your head. Barak doesn't want to fight because there's a very good chance that he's not going to win. Even though he has 10,000 men on his side... Sesera has an army and 900 ironclad chariots. And this is what people in the military would call a force multiplier, these chariots. And, and those 900 chariots would very easily take on all of the Israelite forces, it wouldn't even be a struggle. You could think of those chariots as a kind of a modern-day tank. They had iron sides, and so they were resistant to, to weapons. They were fast, so Cicero uh, could move his forces quicker than Barak could. He could put four or five people in the back of those chariots and arm them with archers or people with slingshots. He was going to dominate the battlefield. There was no doubt Heavily armored chariots, like the ones mentioned, could charge through an enemy line without any risk. Cesar had a clear military advantage, and that kept him and his king, Jabin, in power for 20 years. Barak has some real concerns here. Because a loss on the battlefield could mean that Israel is dominated for another 20 more years. God has called Barak to a dangerous place which he probably didn't want to go alone. Sometimes having a guardian, someone else that goes with you makes all the difference in the world. The lightning would not strike without the fire, but both of them were waiting for the storm. And there's this bit of irony in the text here, and you can look at it in Judges chapter 5, uh, verses 4, and then it picks up again in 20 and 21. This chapter in, in Judges is a song of Deborah, And it may be one of the oldest parts in the Bible. You can read with me. When you, Lord, went out from Ser, when you marched from the land of Eden, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. Remember, Yahweh is a storm god. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai. Remember, Sinai is the place with fire and smoke before the Lord, the God of Israel. And continuing in verse 20. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sesra. The river of Kishan swept them away, that age-old river, the river Kishan. You see, chariots were only an advantage on the plains, just like tanks don't do well in in rugged mountains. You can see examples of that lesson from when the Soviets tried to invade Afghanistan with tanks, and they quickly learned that a man with a rocket-pedal grenade and a donkey was more effective than that tank. So, uh, he used his iron chariots, and he was lured by clever strategy to the marshy region near the Kishon Brook, and then it rained. And we can read between the lines that the heavy chariots became stuck in the muddy marsh, and their advantage became a liability, as even Caesar had to abandon them and run. I don't want us to miss what the point of the story is. This is not about Deborah versus Cesar. If that's what we walk away with reading Judges chapters 4 and 5, we're missing the point. One of the most prominent Canaanite gods was Baal or Baal. It's a God who brought rain, a God who made the crops grow. And there's something happening theologically in the text behind this action, something that I don't want to miss. It's a cosmic battle between Yahweh and which he demonstrates his sovereignty over all of the Canaanite gods. It's not that the stars fought one another in the heavens over this battle. All of the stars are doing God's will. God is a guardian. Another word for that, that we see in the Old Testament is, is helpmeet. Which is interesting because that's what uh, the, the author of Genesis names Eve, that Eve will be Adam's helpmeet. And I, and I think a lot of times, especially when I was a kid, the mindset that I had when I heard that word was, uh, it was like when my dad was working on his car, and he would stick his hand out, and he wanted the wrench, and so I handed him the wrench, or he sticked his hand out, and he wanted the pliers, and so I handed the pliers. I was helping my dad, so that must mean that I'm the helpmeet. That's not how Scripture describes that role. God is the helpmeet of Israel, and God is the helpmeet in Old Testament more than any other character. In Exodus 18.4, Deuteronomy 33.7, and then in the Psalms, over and over in the the prayer book of Israel, as they speak about God, they speak as his helpmeet. Psalm 20, Psalm 33, Psalm 70, Psalm 115, Psalm 121, Psalm 146, More than anything else, a helpmeet is the one that comes in and saves your tail from disaster. Barak would have been lost against those chariots if it hadn't been for the rain. And Yahweh, the God of not just storms, but the God who created the universe, bends the Canaanite God's power, makes Baal do his work, and wins the day. Make any sort of change is going to ruffle feathers. Anytime you get into an environment where things get hard, you're going to meet resistance. It's just the reality of the world. And, and we are caught right now in this, 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 uh, this tension of we have to be able to adapt and change quickly. As we've all experienced in, this, in the last three months, in the last three weeks. If we don't adapt and change very quickly, we're going to very quickly become irrelevant. And we can only change as fast as your society or your culture or your church is able to bear. Those two ideas are being held in tension, and we see this. Anytime there's going to be change, you're going to ruffle a few feathers. Like, for instance, New Coke. Now, I know some of you are too young to even have tasted New Coke. Count that as a blessing. It was terrible. But the biggest soft drink manufacturer in the world, for some reason, got it in its head that the formula they'd used for over a hundred years that had sold billions of gallons of soda was not quite good enough. And so they changed it. It was terrible. Everybody hated it. And the reason why the word classic appears on most of those Coke cans is a desperate marketing attempt to regather all that energy. Or Netflix. Some of you are too young to remember this, but Netflix didn't used to be on the internet. It used to be this mail-order DVD system. And you got three three DVDs a month. It was basically trying to knock out Blockbuster, which it did successfully, by the way. I think there's only one of those left on the planet. And then someone in that company had a vision that said, you know what? These physical DVDs is too slow. What we need to do is stream everything. Stream everything? That's crazy. Do you know how much bandwidth on the internet that's going to take? It's going to take 25% of the bandwidth of the entire internet in the world, by the way. They were wrong. It actually takes about 36%. But now, nobody rents DVDs from Netflix or really anywhere anymore. But in the process of change, you're going to ruffle a few feathers. Or Bob Dylan. Many people don't remember, but there was a time when Bob Dylan, who was this folk rock hero, legendary be all means, walked out on stage with an electric guitar. His fans, his diehard fans, booed him at the concerts, threw things at him, hissed at him. Before he even was able to plug in the guitar, he knew it was a bad idea. When you try to change things, you're going to ruffle a few feathers and it's better if you don't have to do it alone but sometimes with the right guardian you can change the world martin luther was a religious man who lived in germany and he saw the he saw the corruption he saw the problems that were going on in the church that he lived, and he had a problem with it. And he wanted to, to reform the church that he was a part of, the Catholic church. He wanted it to change. He never wanted to break away or do anything else. He wanted to, to dive back into and reinvest in the church that he loved so dearly. And so he posted these 95 theses on, on the door of the church was just basically like throwing something out there on a blog saying, here's what I think, world. Take a look at it and tell me. The only reason that Martin Luther was successful is because he had a protector in Germany that didn't so much care about the backlash that was coming his way. If Martin Luther had been born in France, it would have been a very different story. There would have been no Protestant Reformation. Who do you have in your life who can say, if you go with me, I'll go? Sometimes, with someone to watch your back, you can face a lot more than you think. Someone who will go with you into tough times. Life is hard, and eventually, someone is going to try to hit you where you can't see. And it's good to have somebody with eyes in their back. It's the true story of Michael Orr. Uh, You've maybe seen the movie The Blind Side. Michael Orr was a a linebacker. Excuse me, a left tackle. Uh, Lawrence Taylor was the reason that left tackles are now important. Left tackles is now, on average, the highest paid player on the team behind the quarterback. Because what the left tackle does is guard most right-handed quarterbacks back. When they're turned to throw, they can't see what's behind them. That left tackle is preventing them from getting smashed, or in the case of Lawrence Taylor, broken legs. And there's this story of the story of Michael Orr is a story of a guy that was basically homeless and, and a family loved him and took him in and equipped him to play football. And there's this beautiful scene in the movie where Sondrick equates protection with family. Maybe you've had someone blocking for you in your past. Do you remember that someone that protected your blind side? For me, it's a story of an elder that I uh, did ministry with in Arkansas named Russ. Russ had uh, been a minister before he, he moved to Arkansas and became an elder. And so he kind of knew what it was like to, to do ministry and, and some of the challenges there. And I was, I was doing campus ministry and I was, I was young and I wasn't very wise and I made a lot, a lot of bad choices. Now, I am less young than I was, but the rest of that is still kind of true. And Russ blocked for me every which way. Because I was doing things that I thought the students would latch onto, things that would lead them to Jesus, ways that we could reach out into our our community and reach out onto the campus and bring them in into a place where they could hear about how Jesus loves them. But some of those tactics and ideas, it was a little tough for that conservative church in Arkansas. And I didn't find out for years later how many times in an elders meeting, Russ said, no, you're not going to make that an issue. And no, you're not going to talk to Shane about it. He's doing good work. Let him do it. Story of an elder here. The first uh, three weeks that I was in town. Took me out to lunch. And he said words I'll probably never forget. If you see me coming, know that I am for you. That if in the heat of it, in the thick of it, when you've made a good choice or you haven't made a good choice, if you see me coming knowing that I'm here to defend you. Sometimes your guardian is on the front line beside you, but mostly they cover you in prayer. Deborah probably wasn't at Barak's side side during the battle, but she might have been. I mean, who knows? But she covered Barak's back with the fire of her words, her spirit, and her courage. She was close enough to catch Barak's eyes. And some people have a Holy Spirit and that presence of that Holy Spirit is enough to be your Deborah. And sometimes you need that in your life, at your job and at your school. Sometimes you need that, just someone that's looking out for you. But it's especially true at church. It's been said that the only army that shoots their wounded is a Christian army. Another minister that had an affair another addict that stumbled out of sobriety, another shaky marriage called out in public. So I want to talk for a second about gossip. Whether gossip is true or not, it doesn't matter. And I know that in in the South, we, we use special phrases that permit us to use gossip in unhealthy and wholesome ways. Because you can say something terrible about a person and then use the phrase, bless their heart. And somehow that makes it okay. Or you say, and this is my favorite, you know, I need you to really pray for Shane. He's dealing with some stuff. And then you proceed to tell what that stuff is. Those phrases, you need to pray for Shane and bless his heart. Somehow, in our minds, give us a pass to gossip about other people. And whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. It damages that person. You are shooting the wounded when that happens. And it shouldn't be that way here. So stand up for those around you by not listening to gossip. And and more that don't listen, practice that non-shameful, gentle confrontation where you lovingly help that person that's telling those salacious details to shut their mouth. Stand up for those around you through prayer. You know, Jesus was a guardian. That story in John that captivates my mind and my heart and my soul every time I read it about that woman who's caught and thrown into the middle of a bunch of men standing around her. It's it's a test. It's just a trick. It's to trap Jesus. They don't care about that woman at all. They just want to see what Jesus does. And the first thing he does is protect that woman. The first thing he does is protect her. He refused to cast the first stone, he was the only one who could cast the first stone. Anything is bearable as long as we don't have to do it alone. Hasn't the last three months told us that? Anything is bearable, as long as I don't have to do it alone. Uh, one of my favorite characters in uh, The Lord of the Rings is, is Mary. It's Mary and Pippin are basically the same character, but Mary. And he has this great line. He says, you can trust us to stick to you. And he's talking to Frodo there as Frodo has to take that hard task, that difficult task of carrying the wing, the ring. You can trust us to stick with you through thick and thin to the better end. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone or to go off without a word. We are your friends, Frodo. Anyway, there it is. We know most of what Gandalf has told you. We know a good deal about the ring. We are horribly afraid. But we are coming with you or following you like hounds. The moral philosopher Peter Singer asked this question and he, he kind of writes those moral dilemmas like the trolley problem. He wrote a fascinating question there. But the the, the the thing that he does, he creates all of these kind of moral conundrums for us to wrestle with to, to force us to ask the question, how big is our us? And I heard this NPR interview just recently about Singer's work, and and basically what he describes is this kind of concentric circles of care, like the target on an archery uh, deal. These concentric circles of care that at the the very center is, is for most of us, it's genetic. It's our, our kids or our brothers or our sisters or our family, and then outside of that, it might be our village or our close friends and then our tribe and then our religion and then our world. How big is our us? Because you might have experienced that us. It's a total stranger that you never met, don't know them from anyone, but they are wearing that jersey of that team that you love. And all of a sudden, they're your us. Or you've been in a foreign country and and you've heard for for days a foreign language and you don't understand what's going on and out of the corner of your ear for just a minute you hear somebody speaking English and your head swips like a swivel because all of a sudden that, that person, that's an us. How big is our us? From a Christian perspective, our us at least as much as we try to live by the words of Jesus, is the world. There is no one who doesn't deserve to have a guardian, who doesn't deserve for you to stand up for them. So who is the person that would go into battle with you? I want you to think of that for just a moment. If you, if you went to uh, highlandchurch.org slash Rolodex, you can download this little bookmark, and, and there's a spot there where you could jot that name down. Who is the person that would go into battle with you, whether you were right or wrong, whether things were great or terrible? They are going to be by your side. Who can you rely on to always have your back? But then also ask the question, who are you guarding spiritually in prayer? You may not be able to go into the thick of a battle or into somebody's office to protect them or into their school to help make sure that their environment is good and safe for them, but you can pray for them. Who are you spiritually guarding in prayer? Because I'm pretty sure at someone at some point is gonna need to have your name in their Rolodex. It's what it means to be a rear guard. Because a guardian is a blessing. And it's not an easy task. It's not an easy job. Talk to somebody like Andy Adkins or or Chief Jimmy Ellison about what does it mean to guard as a lifestyle. It's not an easy job. But can you imagine life without it? So I was 12 years old, and my world was upside down and I needed my guardian, and it was my sister. Her name was Shelly. May you have in your life someone that will protect you and keep you. May that be the presence of God, because that is God for all of us. May you feel his presence. May it be real this week. Go in peace.